You're listening to The Hunt with your hosts, Matt Woodward and Dan Adler. Uh, our studio is full today with some rock stars in the industry. Super excited to introduce them to you. You've known me and Matt now for a few episodes, so we're going to introduce some rock stars from my left to right. Vince Martinez, Tyne Heckathorn, and Tony Stanley. Uh, all a huge, huge contributor to uh, what we kept calling the 430 Bull that, I don't know, guys, do we have to change? Do we have to stop calling them that? No. <laughs> you know? I mean, do we sorry, have to call them the 440 Bull? So, uh, you know, we're only five days into this for those of you listening TV and radio land, but, uh, you know, preliminary indications are we might have underestimated him in our camp. And of course, when he dries and when he nets out, it'll be different. But uh, super excited to have you all listening today. Really neat event. Uh, we found Waldo and it was a huge team effort. And I'll tell you, at the end of the day, it couldn't happen to a better hunter, couldn't happen to a bunch of better guys. And this mission, uh, call it 22 days, 22 years. But the culmination of this moment that, that took to uh, harvesting Waldo was, uh, I think, something that's never uh, really ever happened in our lives. So I want to introduce you to our guest here, Vince Martinez to my left. Vince has been a full-time guide uh, with Diamond Outfitters for several years, been with the team for over 10 years. I could go on and on about Vince, but I'd like Vince to just kind of introduce yourself, tell the audience 90 seconds or so a little bit about you, your hunting influences, how you got into guiding, and... Uh, uh, maybe just one or two teasers. We won't go into the whole story yet, but one or two <laughs> teasers about this elk. Take it away, Vince. It's been a journey working for Diamond. has been amazing. And all of you guys know that's followed me on social media. You know how bad I wanted to hold that 400 inch. I mean, that, that number haunted me. And I finally got that glory moment. And it was the best thing in my, my life. And I couldn't thank the two guys sitting next to me right now. It's Tony and Time, man. And and Dan and Matt, I mean, we check in trail cameras. I mean, I could go into it, you're going to hear it in the story, but I mean, I owe a big thank you to Dan and his family for supporting me and letting me do what I love and not calling it a job. So, I mean, now I have Sheena and Canyon on board and we just make the big move to Williams and now we're here to take over 8, 9, 10, man. So that's the goal. It's legit, Vince. People that want to follow you on social media, where are they going to find you? Uh, Desert Racks Outdoors, that's my social media name. And um, if you guys want to follow, I share all diamond stuff too. That's just hopefully going to be a apparel line that's coming out. The wife's trying to work on it. She wants something to do. So it's all diamond. Don't get discouraged on de Desert Racks. I'm full diamond. And I mean, that's our apparel line that's coming out. And that's our social media plug. So Desert Racks Outdoors is who we are. So. Give us a follow and a like. We give a lot of giveaways and stuff, so keep an eye out. You know, I did a post the other day. It said, they say loyalty is dead with this generation of young guys. And uh, Vince has seen us from when we were just a baby wannabe company to, you know, arguably one of the largest outfitters in the United States. And, you know, I always follow that comment up by saying making us big doesn't make us better. What makes us better is our guides and our clients, too. It's as much our guides as who we welcome into our camp that makes the full experience. They don't come more loyal than Vince Martinez. I owe a lot to him and his family. And uh, it's just an awesome, awesome family. He is a huge part of where we've been, but more importantly, where we're going. And I hope you guys follow him on his Desert Rack Outdoors. Sitting to him to his right, Tyne Heckathorn, Pure Addiction Outfitters. You can reach Tyne at 928-853-3114. Just an awesome contributor. I had heard of Tyne over the last couple of years, but for me, uh, I really started having some distant interactions with him last year. Vince had that epic 10 hunt last year. And after my eight client tagged out, I spent the next 10 or 12 days calling bulls in for 
for Vince, and we had some really mega jumbos, and it seemed like everywhere we went to follow this mega jumbo, there was this white truck, and every now and then, every now and then, we'd look over, and I'd look at that truck, I'm like, it says something on the back of that thing, we gotta figure out who that is, and what they're doing, and I remember one day, a bunch of us went up high, and I was able to glass it, I'm like, yeah, it's definitely an outfitter, he's got some cool logo, later we found out it was pure addiction, and you know, I think I can speak for Vince, jump in too, but I think at first I was like frustrated, I was like, man, I didn't know another, I don't care if a hunter knew about it, because I'll go out and hunt that guy, but when I know it's an outfitter that I know about, I'm like, well, maybe this guy's as good a hunter as we are, maybe he's better, who knows, so. And he's parked in a good spot. And he's parked in our spot. Some bitch is parked in our spot. So I'm like, man, now we've got some competition on some of these higher-end, bigger bulls, and Tyne, tell our audience a little bit about you, where you came from, and how you got into hunting and outfitting. And gotta be real loud, guys. Uh, my name is Ty Nickerthorn. Uh, I've lived in Flagstaff, Arizona, all my life, and I just came from a huge hunting family. And I uh, I worked for another outfit for eight years, and I just I wanted to go on my own and try it on my own. And the last 2016, I started Pure Addiction, grown from there. Like we've knocked down some big critters. We specialize up on the Kaibab nine and ten. I got into the guide game and I just never looked back, you know, I love it <laughs> too much. <Yeah. laughs> my wife and my three kids, they're, they're awesome, they support us so much and we're, we're in the woods 300 days a year, you know, like, I, I just have a great support team and I love doing this stuff, I love chasing big animals and I love doing it with great guys, you know, it's just, the camaraderie that's in a camp is this, it's, you can't beat it, you know, like, you get asked all the time, like, how do you uh, say that you guys just killed that with 15 guys, you know, or 20 guys? It's like, it's not that, it's this the team, the family that you have, you know. People don't understand how much goes into this stuff to knock down these giant animals, you know. People get lucky and come around the corner and kill a big bull every now and then, but the amount of work that goes into this stuff is second to none, you know, and I like it. <laughs> Everyone says you should love your job, and I love my job, you know. That's well said. You know, one of the first impressions Tyne made on me, and as I said earlier, I, don't, I haven't got to know him as the man that long, but one of the first times we got to spend together, he he's looks me dead in the eye, 29 years old, and he's like, look, you need to know one thing. He goes, my family is in this with me. He said, I don't do this alone. Uh, my family's in my camps. My family's you know essentially wherever I go and I was like I'm really glad to hear that because you're going to meet my wife you're going to meet my kids in this business you're going to meet all our guys one thing I always tell my guys especially our full-time guys is we might be gone weeks at a time we close down a camp in this forest and the next day we got to have a camp set up in the next forest I encourage you guys to bring your families out and uh, and it's the only way to do it and you know I think what time brings up it's always a good time to mention is I think I could speak for for almost all of us uh, our, our wives uh, um, and you got a great girlfriend too and, and Tony and um, man they say behind every good man's a great woman well I know for all of us it's way more than that like our wives could easily be running this podcast do it more effectively <laughs> and they could tell you you know we're out there complaining about our 20 hour days because the sun's going up coming up early and going down late and we're going 20 hours and wah 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 and they'd be like well let me tell you what I did today and I take one look at that list and I'd be like holy crap I didn't do anything today <laughs> like I thought I was a badass and I look you did what today Terry and karate and you did that and you still got him to karate she still got to grow what I I'm nothing so to all the wives and girlfriends the diamond outfitters and the pure addiction crew God knows we couldn't do it without you and to add to that God knows there's not many women who would put up with the outdoor lifestyle I think we would all agree this isn't a job it's 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 who we are we're hunters 
and we are non-apologetic hunters and that's who we are and quite frankly you know I, I told my wife this 25 years ago when we were still d dating before I was married uh, when I was hunting on the Air Force Base after work in Virginia I'm not gonna want to hunt less because we're married and I, I, I just hope you trust me and understand I'm coming from my heart when I tell you even when we have kids I'm not gonna be that guy that's like my wife said I have to stay home my wife said I'm gone too much and Terry and all the wives on this team I know you guys have been there through thick and thin 28 hour days and there's only 24 hours in a day and y'all are working 28 hour days we know that we love you none of this would happen without you and and there was a lot of tears shed we were fine when we first started to walk up on this bull there's a lot of euphoria <laughs> you're going to hear that in the stories we're <laughs> high-fiving and hugging but i don't think the men started breaking down crying until they got a hold of their wives and kids and that was when a bunch of adults turned in a bunch of babbling toddlers so there's a lot of love there because we couldn't do this without you so uh you all know what i'm talking about so welcome, Ty. And Tony Stanley to my right, just had the privilege of getting to know him the last couple of years, longtime friend of Dykes and Matt and Vince. And uh, Tony, tell us a little bit about you, your background, how you got into hunting. Well, I started hunting with my father. He got me into the sport and always wanted to be a guide, but never became a full-time guide. I'm a part-time guide. I've guided for Matt now for a little over five years in Mexico. This will be my sixth season with him. I do occasional hunt here in Arizona, late season elk hunts here and there, but I'm a full-time heavy highway superintendent, so I don't have a whole lot of time to guide in Arizona, and no matter where I have a tag or friend has a tag, and I run cameras just to help out and do what I can. Tony's uh, first impression on me was a hell of a good one. I'd always known, him, known of him through a few guys, and I was excited to meet him one time, and this past, oh, I don't know, six months ago now, my buddy Greg and I with uh, nine bonus points put in for early rifle 10 and early archery 9, which is basically just another way of getting a bonus point or so we thought. So then Greg and I pull this 9 tag, and of course you and Dykes pull the 9 tag. And uh, so, you know, Tony wants to downplay himself as a part-time guide because he's running, <laughs> he's running down in Phoenix, you know, and, and he's three hours from the unit, and I'm an hour and a half from the unit, and I'm a full-time guide and an outfitter. So I'm thinking all high and mighty, can't wait to meet this guy. And wherever his, his trail cameras aren't, I'll put all mine in because God knows I've got more cameras and, and, and all that. Nope. I get up there. I'm like, all right, let's see where these cameras are. I'll hook you up. And he just dumps a map. And he's like, like uh, what just happened here? Like, I'm supposed to be helping you. And Tony's got like 35 cameras out. I've got like 12 in the truck and 15 at home and more coming ordered. And so it went from... Hey, I'm going to help Tony out to get cameras out for our hunt. This is long before the super raffle hunt came to be to putting out the few cameras I knew of that he didn't have them. And then you guys don't even know this yet. I just would geek out and I'm like talking to game wardens. I'm talking to other hunters. I'm talking to other guides. I'm on like Onyx on the satellite while the family's watching movies on movie night. I'm like, I will find a tank. <laughs> so help me God. I'm going to find a catchment that Tony by God Stanley and Bill don't have a camera on. And I'll tell you what, my favorite day in my relationship was sitting with Tony, was sitting around casually in the camp having a beer. I'm like, hey, come, let me show you something. You got a camera on this water hole? Nope, never heard of that one. I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> Rolled down like four or five more and he only knew of one of them. Like, mic drop, greatest day ever. <laughs> so I'm patting myself on the back for like the 15 cameras I got for Tony. And he's got like 50 out for us, so. <laughs> Tony, I appreciate you being here. You're a huge part of this bull, and I want to get right into it. Uh, you know, we all know the comic character, Where's Waldo, right? Where's and Waldo? Uh, um, when did we first start calling him Waldo? Was it you two guys that started calling him Waldo? I mean, obviously Actually, not the story. It was me. It was all right, tell us that story. We pulled, um, we call it the dry drinker, the only 
ended up putting water in. And we pulled the card, and Cheyenne was in the front seat, and I was in the back seat, and we're laughing. She's the one that named And she it. was like, this is the damn game. And I'm like, it is the game. And she's like, this is like, where's Waldo? <laughs> Boom, there's his name right there. It's Waldo. And she's like, I like it. You know? <laughs> so that kind of stuck, and that, that's where Waldo came from is because, honestly, none of us – laid eyes on him personally laid eyes on him we, you know we no lack of effort trying to right. lay eyes on him every vantage point we could get on we had surrounded and i mean i think times buddy might have laid eyes on him probably like 14 days before we got there or something like that but so a lot of a lot of you guys that listen to our podcast the hunt with matt and dan know our affiliation with best of the west and doing the tv show so when you think of Best of the West, you think of high spots, optics, big country, glassing, shooting from five, 600 yards. And like Vince is saying, this bull is not glassable. And uh, we'll talk at the end about you know the, the stock and what, what ended up needing to get him killed. But uh, this bull is essentially not glassable. And so a lot of us was a ghost. And that's where the Waters Waldo came in. And uh, Tyne and his crew, did you have history with them in years prior? Or was this the first year? I know there were some sheds that were found, yeah. but... It was, I didn't really have history with them, you know, like, I had just been running 10 so hard the last few years, you know, and the sheds popped up this spring, you know, I hit nine every year super hard for sheds, and the sheds popped up this year from a friend of a friend, and it was just one of those things, it was kind of funny to me, especially once we killed Waldo, was, I, I feel like I, I know the unit pretty much as good as I can, you know, and I after running all the cameras the first go around we had so many great bulls and Waldo was my number one bull this I there's a bull or two that looked bigger but this his look and where he was was just super awesome to me but the whole it beat me up for two months of like where's this other bull we had put a tape on the sheds and we had gave him a 45 inch spread and he was 412 last year, 418, you know, right in there. So I'm like, where's this bull? He has to be a major league bull this year, you know, out of this world. And I just never put two and two together. And then once he hit the dirt, you know, and I have 15 text messages, the guys, other outfitters, game and fish officer up there, you know, like we're, we're missing a bull up here. I convinced myself that he had to be on the res or on the park. He would show up at some point, you know, and then once he hit the dirt and everyone starts sending me pictures of like, here's his sheds. I'm like, oh man, we got the bull that I've been looking for all summer long, you know. It was funny to me, you know, because it just all came to, I was, it was eating me up, you know. I'm like, I know there's another giant bull up here because uh, the sheds, he's a six by seven in line. He this year he threw the extra on his fourth, you know, and set at the end. But it just it was beat me up for a long time, and then I was like, man, I had him the whole time. <laughs> you know, I think it's worth mentioning here that all of us are are hunters of the, the icon, most iconic Western big game species, and I think it's really worth mentioning. You know, it's one thing to have a trophy mule deer tag in your pocket. It's one thing to have a trophy elk tag or sheep tag or whatever. But God Almighty, when you pick one animal and you're like, I don't have an elk tag in my pocket. I have a Waldo tag in my pocket. And that's the only bull I want to hunt in a non-glassable spot. You know, Tony, yeah, talk, talk about the, the additional in a non-glassable spot. Talk about how that kind of plays out. That's one thing that I just, why I give this team, that this knocked this bull down, the props that, out of this world, you know, because it was a grind place. 
it was a hard, hard bull to hunt, you know, that is thick. There's pretty much one, two options, and it was to sit him on the water or on the salt or do what we did, you know, and it was one of those things, like, to do what we did, the only day we could have done it, in my opinion, is the day that we did it, you know, yeah, and it right. was one of those things, like, it was... You know, I, like we said the night before we killed him, I was like, we got to get aggressive today. You know, like tomorrow we have to get aggressive. We're either going to blow him out of the country or we're going to kill him. And we killed him, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, a gamble that like, I'll take every time now, you know. But it was one of those things like everything played out the right way because the day that it happened is the only day you could have killed that bull the way that we killed him. Yeah, absolutely. What did we get probably an inch plus of rain? Yeah, yeah. That that through the middle night, of the night, night and it stopped at like three o'clock in the morning or something. Yeah, it and it started at raining at 4 to like 4 15. Yeah. Like me and Dan, we were, when me and Dan were up on the hill prior and like we had made a game plan to get aggressive and like it rained. We got up, it was nice when we woke up at 3.30 <laughs> in the morning and all right, we got in there and as soon as we could see through glass, it started dumping on us. Hard. And it rained from 4.45 that morning until 6.30. Yeah. And we just hunkered up under the cedar trees and rode it out. And the best decision we've ever made in our lives, yeah. in my opinion. You know, <laughs> so I kind of want to come back to that towards the end because I don't want to give away the whole day of the hunt. But I do want to go back to a little bit of history. And, and you know, we'll find out in the next few months how old this bull actually is, regardless of score. But we know he's old and mature and teeth were below the gum line the whole thing. I want to hear a little bit. I think Tony talked a little bit about it. I want to hear from Matt and, and me too about where we first saw this bull. And I'll be the first to admit, you know, when I first saw trail camera pictures of this bull, he was no doubt part of the conversation. He was no doubt part of, hey, if we don't kill him on Mark's tag, I'll look at him again. But in those early June trail camera pictures, there was no, oh my God, Matt, look at this picture. There was none of that. You guys talk a little bit about when you first got some pictures of him yeah, too, he Tony. He showed up on camera on June 5th and I sent the picture to Matt and Vince to say, look at this bull. He had the amazing front end at the time. But his backs were nothing like yep. what they finished out. No, he didn't. He didn't have what he ten, ten inch G fives. I just looked looked back at the picture. There, you maybe give him ten right. on his on his G five. So he's definitely looked like he could be something. But at the time when we first picked him up, he was just an awesome looking bull with the giant front ends, and uh, slowly but surely kept growing and growing and growing on us. And finally, the tank I had him on dried up. Then. He headed over to Tyne's tank, and I didn't know Tyne's tank even existed at the yeah. time. And yeah, uh, that's my first picture of him. I looked last night. is June 3rd, and he just wasn't, you know, like, it's a head-on picture in the daylight, and you're like, wow. Okay. He's going to be a 370 type yeah. of bull finished mm -hmm. out, which we learned big time to don't trust the truck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think my response was 380. Yeah. And then we have another picture, which is a nighttime picture of right. him. Right, and it's in, a side in, view. In, yeah. in side view. Yeah. And his beams look crazy short, Correct. and he yeah. looks more like 330, 340 in yeah. that picture, right. just at your first glance. And we just, the we just like him. swiped on by. We right. just kept right. on swiping, like, oh, another good bull. Right. And uh, so the sure second enough. round of pictures, he grew extremely. You know, in two weeks, he put yeah. major length on his top end, and but he turned to our number one focus, mm -hmm. you know, to well, the videos have, your videos helped me. Yeah, yeah that videos was the, that, yeah, your, yeah, your yeah, videos yeah. were the... I just remember texting Tony like, 
this fool has to die. Like when right. he's on that saw, like wow. I think if it was just for trail cam pictures, it'd definitely been overlooked. Yeah, yeah. Were, yeah. the early Video, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. the early yeah. stuff. But once I got the picture on June 14th of him at the water and daylight was. It was game on. Like I drove from nine that day, went and got salt, drove back up there that day. Like we, me and a, one of my guys set the salt at three thirty in the afternoon, and by six thirty we had Waldo on it, and we had him on there for six days in a row in the daylight, you know, and on video mode. And everyone's opinion, yeah. like you said, changed. You yeah, know? I'm like we have a, this bull's over four hundred. We were being very conservative, you know, dealing with these auction and raffle hunters, you know, like we were being conservative, but we were being very conservative, sure. obviously, you know, but when the bull showed up on video, he, he blew socks off, you know, yeah. and how, how, I, like I've hunted so much on the strip, like I knew that these trail cameras took away from these velvet animals, especially, you know, and the way that their racks look in trail camera, but not... 40 inches, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be hard to guess. I think when the first round of trail camera pictures come over, you know, and, and for those of you that are maybe new to hunting or, or haven't spent a lot of time with elk, you may not know this. Elk antler is the fastest growing antler of any animal, not just in North America, but in the world and, in, and can grow as much as an inch a day. So when you start thinking about uh, trail camera pictures or you start thinking about uh, a time lapse uh, that our Best of West videographers would film, that basically means you can watch antler grow. And, um, you know, to a fault, I would say that some of the pictures I looked on, uh, on Waldo, I was like, yep, next. And to me, quite frankly, up until we decided we were going to make him our primary bull, I was like, he's a great bull, but he's just as good as our top one or two other bulls. But he had a unique frame that made him kind of sexy and kind of attractive that we wanted to focus on him. And there's another super raffle slash auction holder in the unit. We're giving them some space. We're like, you guys got a couple shooters. We got a couple shooters. They're not that far apart. So let's all just play nice together and help out. And and even when I saw this bull on the hoof on our final stock, I'll never forget seeing him in his bed. I still would have said, gun to my head, he's 405. And when we started doing the walk up and I'm filming in the background, I could just see these guys' reaction. I'm like, I knew they'd be happy for a 405, but then he's like, he's so much bigger than we thought. <laughs> and then when I remember looking down from the camera, because I wanted so bad to get it, because I'd always realized at this point I'd screwed up and put pause instead of record at the shot. I wanted so much to make sure that I got that moment that I'm looking down, looking down, and I realized my first 30 seconds or minute of looking at this elk is through a one inch viewfinder. And I'm 12 yards from this elk. So finally I look up and it's just, Terrence, I apologize. I know you got to beep out like 15 seconds of me when I, on that video, but I look up I'm like, oh my God, you know, this thing is. I'm videoing on my phone and you look up and you go, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. All I remember is like the first time that we saw him, time was in front and then comes around the corner and his eyes look like they were going to pop out of his head. And I'm looking for Mark like. It's go time, but then time dies, and then we see him in the tree like, oh, yeah, like, his fish are waiting. <laughs> when, we snuck, when we first stalked in on him, and I had my 15s on a tripod, and I looked at him through those things at 61 yards, you know, and I just, my heart <laughs> You can't realistically put a 28-inch number on no. a royal, you know? It's just like, I, I'm looking at the bull, and I'm like, looking at his fists and I'm like his force are just what I thought you know those things have to be 21 inches long and he turns his head a little bit I'm like 
Oh my god, that's his face! (laughs) That 12 minutes and 45 seconds felt like an eternity waiting for that bull to stand up because I was just like, I don't, I can't look anymore. anymore." Go look, go look. So we got to talk about our hunter, Mark Stricker, a fertilizer sprayer out of North west nebraska just an awesome rock star of a guy for so many reasons not only is he just a great american and and doing america's most needed work in the heartland but uh he had to put up with a bunch of guys that were keeping his bullets yeah and and this goes back to last year so when mark first reached out to us about doing this hunt with us i said you know if we do something like this i'd like it to be less of a client uh, outfit relationship and more of a partnership and he wants to know what that means. I says, well, you know, if we're going to, it's not a seven day hunt, you know, like we're going to hunt till we get it done. And, and that means for us that we'd like to make sure it's the, the oldest, most mature bull we can find. And that may mean passing on some bulls that none of us would normally pass on. So he's having a conversation with me about, well, you know, you guys don't have to do that. You know, if he's like a 320, 330 bull, that's way bigger than my Nebraska bull. And we're like, no, sir. Like we can do so much better for you than that. This is Arizona, the land of the giants. And, and we want to make this a special hunt for you and your family and your legacy. And yeah, it's a partnership for our company too. You know, we can really do some neat things together. So Mark comes out here last year in September, peak of the rut. And uh, due to his spraying schedule out there in Nebraska, he had to come during the early rifle bull season, which is fine. I mean, the elk are bugling. It's a great hunt. Um, the only downside, number one, was the archery hunters had got to pick through a few, and that's just to be expected. But uh, we had a few bulls we kind of wanted to get him on and yeah. uh, maybe found them, and they weren't quite the same condition as in July. Vince, talk a little bit about we, some of our previous we, bulls. We had one gnarly-looking bull, and old Tyne over here has his shed. <laughs> <laughs> um, we actually almost had Mark shoot this bull, and... He just was missing a third. I mean, his thirds weren't super impressive at that time, but he was just gnarly, just points everywhere. I mean, he just looked awesome on the hoof. And we were actually in there to kill another bull that I tried to harvest with my bow, and it just didn't work out. So, and this non-typical ended up coming out, and it was hard for Mark to pass that bull. It was, and we looked at a couple other bulls with um, Tony's crew, Johnny and all them, and. I mean, we passed on them too. He passed on a good 20 bulls before, you know, said and done that year he left. And then he comes back and we have him in camp for the first day. And one of the target bulls that I looked at wasn't as impressive at 120 yards as he looked further away. So we pulled Mark off that bull and ended up in nine looking for Waldo. So Mark would have shot any of these bulls, right? Yeah, and, any of them. And he was, hands down. He kept telling us, he's like, you guys don't have to do this for me. And I remember the last night he was here last year driving out in the side-by-side because uh, he had to go back to work the next day. And I can't remember if he did 10 days or 12 days. Yeah. But w- we were driving out in my side-by-side, and I told the guys, like, I'm going to spend some, one- some serious one-on-one time with him today. I'm going to take him to the ground blind. I sat with him that day, and I had the guys up on top glassing down in case we pick something else up. And he's like, he's like, well, you know, I, I appreciate what you guys have done, but I, he's like, I just know I can't come back next year. Like, it's, it's, uh, it's okay that I didn't get a bull, um, but just know that I can't come back, and, and there's nothing I can do about it. And I uh, kept saying, uh, you don't have to worry about, you know, whatever you're worried about finances or whatever. If you can take the time off work, we're going to make everything else happen because you could have gotten a bull every day. But um, we want you to get something that, you know, is your legacy bull and, and is part of going to be our part of our legacy, too. And uh, he said, well, he said, let's find a way to do that. I said, just come back towards the end of July, first part of August, right before they strip. Let's get this thing done. And 
man, he would have shot any of these bulls. So Mark, uh, I don't want to say apologies, but thank you for your patience yeah, yeah. because, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, any of us on an Arizona archery or rifle tag, uh, us as guides and outfitters, we would have all shot these bulls that we asked you to pass on. And we know that uh, every day you took on vacation with us was time you weren't spending with your family back home. And I'm going to do another shout out to my team. Uh, I found out about the fourth day he was in camp and remind me to come back to the story about the triumphs and tribulations of having Mark come back early, earlier than initially planned. But kind of important story that needs to be shared here is uh, Mark's father passed away this spring. And obviously it's emotional for him. The reason it's emotional for me selfishly is when he was on this hunt last year, I didn't realize till after I found out he passed how, how excited his dad was to see that he got this bull last year. So when I talked to Mark in March and April about coming back, he was excited about coming back and his schedule was good. And then he threw out the one thing was, you know, the only thing that stinks about this whole deal is my dad passed away here a few weeks ago and he's not going to get to see this bull. Yeah. And you can imagine my heart kind of shrunk, sunk when he told me that. And I said, well, man, I don't know your dad, but I know you and I'm sure he's going to be with us on this hunt. And this was months ago. And uh, so fast forward, COVID hits, right? Everything's shut down. Weddings are shut down. Funerals are shut down. All gatherings are shut down. This is 2020. So he comes to camp, uh, and I'm going to back up here, and, and it's all good. Like, we put him on notice that we might call him early, and we put our whole team on notice that we might call him in early. And sure enough, we did. Found a bull, and uh, it was a bull we wanted him to look at. And he came out. He dropped everything he was doing. We all did. You know, I'm trying to remember what I had scheduled the next day, but we all dropped what we were doing. That's what you do on a big bull. And we all went up there, and like Vince talked about, we decided it wasn't the right bull. What I didn't know was till Gilbert came up to me like day three in camp, and he goes, did Mark tell you what's going on Saturday? And I was like, no. Like, it's his dad's funeral because of COVID. They never got to do the memorial. So I'm like, well, I'm sure Mark will tell me. And then like it was two days later, he still hadn't told me, but he told a couple of the other guys. So finally, I was with Super Dave and maybe Skipper Tim and, and Mark, and it was like Thursday, and I, I had to bring it up. I'm like, so what's going on with, you know, you got a memorial for your dad? He's like, yeah, you know, I, I uh, but my family knows it's okay. I can't be there. And so I pulled him aside and I said, what do you mean you can't be there? He's like, I can't, I can't go back and, and uh, I can't afford to do something like that. And I said, well, look, everybody on this team's going to pitch in and you go home and you do what you need to do. We'll scout. He's like, you guys would do that? I'm like, it's already done. All I need is a copy of your driver's license. We'll buy you a plane ticket from camp. You need to go home for a couple days. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I'm, and Mark, this is the first time you're hearing is on the Hunt with Matt and Dan podcast, but there was a small part of me that f wanted you to fly and not take your truck because we didn't want you to get there and be like, well, those guys are great, but I don't want to come back. Yeah. Like I want, <laughs> I don't need to come back yeah. because, because Mark's such a great guy. He's going to be thinking, well, I don't, I, I've already put these guys out so much. I've already gone twice. I'm not going to go back. So we put them on the airplane, brought them back on the airplane and, um, uh, it was really important to us to do that. And of course, we're paranoid that the other the other tag holders might fill out on our bull. We're paranoid that we got 15 guys in camp to scouting to two days. But, you know, what I would want my kids to know is do the right thing. You know, there's no way for me, and, and you guys can touch on it too, that Saturday and Sunday knowing his dad was having a memorial that I would have felt good about and hunting. It's for similar reasons why for years I wouldn't hunt on September 11th. And and, I, you know, karma just shows and, and the good Lord just shows that you do what's right even when nobody's looking. Mark would have missed his dad's funeral. Yeah. Yeah. He would have stayed. Well, everything happens for a reason. And yeah. He went home, got his stuff together, 
got to see his family. He's home. He's back in state for a day and a half, and we found Waldo. Yeah, so, he mean, got it. To- all happened for that reason. He had to go get closure in my mind. Like that's a chapter now that you know, like knowing him from previous. I mean, that's, that was one of his things he told me. He's all, oh, my dad to see this boy, you know. And yeah. yeah, and that's one thing is when there was four guys on that when we kept, shot that bull the first time because Mark's dad was there with yeah. us, you know. Because yeah. that would have – it's just – I, I felt it, and I know Vince did. And, like, we told Mark, like, your dad was here today with us, you know, and we killed this bull because – I was like, he's messing with you, man. The tripod, <laughs> he's just picking on you, <laughs> getting all your thoughts gathered. When, when I, and for you guys, if you don't already know this, when I first mentioned it to Mark and I said that we would, we would fund this thing, he got real emotional, which made me real emotional because we want to be that outfitter. We want to be that team that will do that for a guy, even when it's hard. And I uh, 100% believe his dad was there was there for that. But, you know, when Mark first got back in the truck after coming back from the memorial, sat down in my pickup to make the drive back from the airport, the first thing he I said, how'd it go? First thing he said, I'll never forget. He goes, I'm really glad I was there for my mom. And that is such a testament to Mark and legacy his dad left behind. And uh, um, so, uh, you know, the stars lined up. This was his bull from even, you know, my first guiding trip in, in uh, I, I connected this dot the other day. My first guiding trip in nine when we killed uh, Corkscrew in, I think it was, it was 2010 or 2012. This bull was probably a two or three year old calf. So in, in some ways, you know, this bull has been in our, in our spiritual world, so to speak, for, for ever since my set foot as a legitimate guide up there. And uh, Mark, I couldn't be happier for you. Um, I'm sorry dad didn't get to see it, but I'm glad he was there for the hunt. And we appreciate that uh, that you were willing to hunt with us, and we appreciate more that that you were able to go back and do this. So now, now let's transition not to the the day we got him, but let's talk a little bit about. We've talked about the background. We've talked about kind of how he was a ghost. You know, where's Waldo? He earned his name. I want to talk a little bit about the actual hunt. So if you guys can kind of go back in your minds to the first couple of days we were there, we're still dealing with uh, 90 degree temperatures. We're still dealing with uh, sunrise in Arizona this time of year. Legal shooting light coming in around five-ish, you know, without looking at my clock. But civil twilight is so early that our alarms were three, three every day. And you're going to bed at 9, 30, 10 at night. Nothing new to anybody that hunts during the west, out west in September. But this is a July hunt, right? So super long days. Sometimes sit in water. Uh, most of the time sit in water, really. Mm-hmm. And talk a little bit about that. Talk about our different setups. Talk about the, the day we thought we were all Joey Badass because we had this great blind, only, to, only that we set it up in an overcast day. First day you guys go in there, it's an oven. You know, yeah. Talk a little bit about our setups. <laughs> talk a little bit about that. I think, I think our biggest one was when we hit the tank that time had him on, religiously coming and coming and coming into this water and salt. And we literally sit up the first day and he doesn't come into that tank. And not, you know, us as guides keeping that positive face, but now also thinking when we get into camp, like, where'd he go? Where's his water? Why is he not hitting salt? Like, why did all these factors change within the last 48 hours? I pull Tony's camera and there's Waldo looking inside a dry tank when we're just totally blindsided. Like, why did you end up back over here, you know? And we, as a team, I feel like we didn't put too much pressure into this core area where we were taking total precautions of trying to get in there, playing the wind right, and 
setting a blind up when it's overcast and then sitting in that evening and you're not just cooking. I'm watching Mark sit there with just sweat pouring down pouring his off face. his nose. Like half asleep with just dripping, dripping, dripping. And then we set the dry tank blind and don't even see an elk come into the tank. You know, we fill it with water thinking, all right, he doesn't, he stopped hitting the other tank. This is his only option because we kept covered every tank around him and had no picture of him on camera and filled the dry tank up. He never hit it. And he's probably never hit it. I mean, since we killed him. So pretty sure he's not pretty sure he's not getting now. When we cut him off, when time got him up to that point, he was between both tanks. So we felt like he, he was like, I'm going to go hit the highway tank today. I mean, that's kind of what I felt like. And that was his, you know, every six days he, made an appearance over there and just never stuck around. And you and I spent a lot, that one Saturday, spent all day trying to find any other water source in the area. We just couldn't. We just, and we did. We found three other water three sources. Others. So we didn't even know about. Didn't know about. Old Tyne had a camera on it. <laughs> the collective we, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he never hit those tanks. He no. didn't even think about moving within his mile radius of his core area like and that's this one you know and it's a lesson that we all know as as guides you know and i've done it before we're all guilty of it you know it's persistence when you're hunting one animal you got to stay persistent you know and he pretty much just slapped us in the face because yeah. we moved and he came strolling in you know and we're like the one time you know and it's it always happens the one time that yeah. you don't do it you know and the persistence. Once we knew that we were staying right there, you know, we moved, and he's like, "All right, I'll, <laughs> I'll show you guys." You know. <laughs> and one thing I talk a lot about too is uh, on other podcasts. I think our elk hunting podcast, Matt, I talked about elk summer patterns, and you know, kind of a viewer question, if you will, about the value of trail cameras in the summer relative to how how that will play out on your archery hunt or your early rifle hunt. And one of the things I've talked about from an outfitter perspective and also a hunter perspective is the trail cameras that you get in May, June, July, and August are really important, but they're almost more fun and they're almost more data gathering than the bulls you're actually gonna be hunting because once they peel that velvet, once they strip, once they start bugling, you know, it's not uncommon. There's that famous uh, Arizona Wildlife Views magazine I talk about at my Arizona Elk Society seminars where, you know, an elk's core area in the summer might be three or four miles, and as soon as that rut starts, he might move 100 miles in five days, and it's documented time and time again. So one of the things that we are up against in our own moral debates within our team is, hey, he's in a summer pattern. So if we don't screw this thing up, he's going to rinse, wash, repeat, rinse, wash, repeat, rinse, wash, repeat until he strips, and then it's a game changer, or till a legit monsoon hits, or they both start to come together at the same time. So hunting this guy in non-glassable country and everything's dry, everything's 90 degrees, 100 degrees, ground blinds 115 degrees, other hunters uh, in the area with, with scouts in our area putting all this additional pressure on us. And we're sitting there going, in my mind, we're sitting there going, well, we're still okay because this bull doesn't know we're here. But yet at the same time, I always talk about a mature bull like that. You know, anybody can, can kill a raghorn bull every year, but to kill a, a dinosaur, a bull this old, you he's just looking for a change he doesn't have to get full wind of us he doesn't have to get full eyes on us he just has to have something's changed hey this it could be as minuscule as this ground blind wasn't here yesterday this salt has been freshened up and it's different somebody was here a bull this old just detects change 
And like Tyne was saying, the one day we changed where we sat, morning, morning, the one morning we changed where we sat was the morning he popped out in daylight. And what I kept telling Mark and what we all kept kind of telling each other was he just needed to make one mistake and we needed to be there when it happened. And the most funny slash frustrating part of the story for me was when we found out that we made a mistake, it wasn't even from us that we figured it out. And what had happened was another outfitter had called me and said, hey, are you guys still hunting this bull? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Why? And he's like, well, why didn't you kill him this morning? And I'm like, well, we tried. What do you mean? He's like, well, I got a daylight picture of him on your tank. If you're sitting in the tank, he should be dead. And I was like, no, we were sitting in the tank. He didn't come out. And he's like, well, I'm going to send you a picture. It says he did. So I went running into the guide shack. And I'm like, where do we, you know, day 21, you know, all your days start blending together. I'm like, we sat the blind this morning, right? He's like, no, we sat the salt. I'm like, oh my gosh, we we're 400 yards away. So here we are saying, hey, Mark, all this bull has to do is make one mistake, make one mistake. In 20 days, he finally makes a mistake. And like the hunting gods do, God has a sense of humor was we weren't there. So what really kind of started to turn the table for all of us was what we least kind of wanted. We were at least kind of wanting to hold off was rain because of how that would change the tank dynamic, but obviously ultimately played a key role. So, so, so all you guys pick it up from, you know, now it's starting to get a little bit of, now the monsoons are starting to roll in. And before we do that, I'd be remiss not to mention, Tyne mentioned earlier what a big, big team effort it is. We've got Tony here, we've got Tyne here, we've got Vince and Matt here, but there's a whole bunch of crew that we've got to give a quick shout out here. Um, guys that were up on the mountain every day, Gilbert Sanchez, Jeremy Roberts, Johnny Moe came in, Dykes came in, Mike hey, Harris and Lane Shitwood, busting their butts, going to glassing spots. Uh, Officer Rigo, thank you for all your help and being a great, great game warden in Unit 9 and managing it for trophy animals like this. We appreciate your efforts, which so often go unrewarded in that industry. Um, man, there's just a ton of people. But uh, So now, you know, I don't know. I was 50-50 when the rains first hit. And to be fair, my mindset wasn't initially, now he's got good tracks, let's go find him. My initial mindset was, all he needed was that one break, that first big monsoon or to strip that velvet and we were gonna start over from scratch. Where was your guys' mindsets? See, I think our gut that morning was like, walk to where you've been sitting, he's bedded between us. Yeah. Remember that, that was our, our go-to yeah. scenario. And well, that's of course, what we did. When, the, when the rains hit, my gut turned, you know, like, yeah. I knew that it wasn't gonna be of feet in the next 72 hours at least of a storm of that caliber sitting and that's why that night you know we made the decision to get aggressive and getting aggressive put a such a gamble on the table that we would never ever see this bull again you know and to how it happened was not my expectations you know like that's what I wanted to happen but I figured it would be a jump shoot type of thing you know and it was scary when the rains hit because I was like, oh man, it's like, it was, it was our last chance, in my opinion, to kill the bull before he moved a long ways, you know, like, the velvet on him was coming off, you know, when we killed him, I think we had five days max, max before yeah. he was yeah. stripped and moving, you know, so I think that Right now, I want to say thanks to the rains, <laughs> but I was scared Thursday night when there was a river running through camp, you know, that it was going to turn into a whole new ball game, you know. I want to hear everybody's full story from start to beginning of the next day, and I'll start it off by saying, because it's 
because Mark's quote when he came back up to me on the hill is priceless, and we can say it. The one, <laughs> we can say it the one time, because um, because T can blurt it out. But I must start with my perspective. Of that morning was same thing. We're all fearful of the rain. We all know we need to change up our tactics. And I step out at 3:05, and I look up, and it's just a crystal. I can see a million stars. I'm like, all right, this is exactly what we need. This is the break. We got the big rain. Um, but not quite enough necessary to fill up all his water holes where he's totally going to change. But like Tyne said, we're down to our last two to five days. And then if we don't kill him then, then we have 20 more days of hunting for a different bull. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, I was to the point where I was sending guys to, we did. We sent guys to different units to start glassing. Mike and Lane were rock stars. They bailed out uh, to go check different units. We had uh, Chris and Pat and 3C, guys out in one, Clay Smith. Lee. Lee Hop and oh Lee Hop man like every day beating out the Coco uh, great great shout out to Lee thank you Tyne and just guys all spread out and uh, hell half these guys hadn't even met Mark you know and they were all working this hard to try and find him a bull and uh, so for me we get out there we got a great plan we're gonna start coming in from the north get the wind Tyne and I are gonna get up high Vince and Mark are gonna start with kind of a, a call it a small uh, old school uh, still hunt where you actually go in tree to tree like a bow hunt they do their thing. Tiny and I just, it takes, I don't know, three quarters of a mile, half a mile walk to our glassing spot. And I'm like, oh, this is perfect for about the first 15 minutes. And then the skies just opened up. Yeah, it was let loose. And, uh, you could see it coming. And <laughs> it was coming. It was coming. And Big. It was coming fast. And... So we took cover. I mean, you couldn't even glass 50 yards. Yeah. These guys were still off the side of the hill at that point. And they come back up. And um, it, what does Mark say? You ain't because <laughs> <laughs> I, I had made the mistake of telling him i was look you know it's a blue blue sky day it's gonna be an awesome day and these storms just i mean tiny and i took you couldn't see 10 yards out of your sawarskis they just fill up and uh so we bailed and then uh, we kind of rallied back when the boys came back and uh we didn't even bail we sent it out you know but yeah, we made our way to you guys yeah I mean, all four of us, by the time that Vince and Mark got on the hill, we were dripping wet. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, so, so they call rain gear, rain gear, but it's, you'll, know, you'll notice they never call it rain-proof rain gear. It just helps a little bit, but we're all soaked to the bone. There's nothing we could do at that point but hunt. And uh, we're at the situation now. It, it brings me back to, and there's moments in, in my hunts that bring me back to some of my military days, and this morning was one of them that the level of focus and determination in my guy's eyes brought me back to my military time on a mission. And... And what was cool that morning was that we're like, well, what do we need to do? Well, we we got, we know where he's at. We have good reason to believe. And again, I, I'm going to have you guys tell your story, the whole story too, because we did three different, four different things at the same time. And the call that was made up on that hill, which was the right call, was from where we were to the tank that uh, Vince and Skipper Tim filled up was 2.7 miles as the crow flies on yeah. GPS. And it seemed like a logical decision. We had the wind, we had the fresh rain. If you're an elk hunter, you know... A good rain is one of the best times to kill an elk, especially a mature bull. It knocks down the scent, knocks down your wind. And in this case, it makes tracks, you know, like no kid in old school Africa, track them up tracks. And the decision was made that I was going to glass for about another hour. These guys were going to make their way towards that other tank, which as the crow flies would have been 2.7, but trying to scatter out and find tracks was going to be three or four miles. And um, the decision was made that th those guys were going to head down. Of course, I took the camera with me, big mistake. And um, I was going to be the one that went and got the truck, met him on the backside so they didn't have to walk back. So I glass for another half hour. I see him kind of making their way. And I've got these great patches where if they do bump them, you know, I can see them and I can say, okay, we bumped them. 
which also would have worked okay thanks to the good work of Mike and Lane, who were south of us, who if we bumped them south would have picked them up. Plus Gilbert, Jeremy, Johnny Moe was on the big mountain and they could have seen him out from the east side. So we had this perfect plan in our minds. So I don't see anything. So I go back, I'm texting, making sure things good. And now I'm driving back in Tyne's truck and it's a half hour to get all the way around to the loop. So I get all the way around to the loop. And when I get to where I'm going, I park, I shut off. I don't even get out of the truck. I'm so exhausted at this point and so wet that I'm like, I just want to bake in Tyne's like the glass house, greenhouse effect of the truck. So I'm just sitting there and I lean the chair back and next thing I look up and it's been like 25 minutes. So I realize I passed out and I look at my phone and I get a message from Tiny. He's like, whatever you do, don't drive to the parking spot I told you to go. The bowl might be 300 yards from you. And I look at that and I write back, I've been here for like 45 minutes. I hope I didn't screw this up. And uh, so maybe 15 minutes more go by and I get a message from Tyne, one of the greatest text messages I've ever got. And it's a picture of Waldo bedded down. He's like, we got him at 60 yards. And I'm like, oh man, I started saying, legitimately started saying my prayers. I texted my wife, I'm like, we got him bedded. This is Diamond Outfitters. This is how we kill stuff. We find them in their bed and they're dead. That's the long range thing. That's the whole deal. And, and really any, any good Western hunter, that's what we want to do. But usually it's at like two to 800 yards. You know, and he's Tyne's text me, we got him at 60 bedded. And I'm like, what more could we ask for? You know, everything is starting to, to line up. So I'm expecting to hear a gunshot and I don't. And then I get a text message that we got a bullet in him. So at this point, he says, it's not a great shot, but we got a shot. And at this point, um, we let, they let him, uh, well, they'll tell you about their boots on the ground at that point in a minute. So the decision's made that Mark is between the adrenaline and being up at three for 20 days in a row or whatever it is, you know, he's, he needs some nutrition. He needs some Gatorade. We need to get some calories in him right now. So we, so we launched an effort to get over them. So at this point, this is the first time I meet up with the guys and uh, Mike and Lane came with me at this point and we waited about an hour 20 and uh, um, then we decided to pick up his tracks. And, and uh, so at that point it's Mark, Tyne, Vince, and I go to try and film and, and, you know, Man, we, we wanted everybody to go with us, but there's so many variables into a wounded bull. No no blood at this point. And really, I don't even want to go on with the story after that because it's really these guys' story. So I'm going to stop there because I know you guys will pick up before that. But if you guys would, in your own words, and I'll start with you, Vince, kind of pick up from, since the audience now knows what I did after I left, you guys kind of talk about what you remember. I got something to you know, before that all happened. I texted Tony that night. Mm. We were going back and forth like, Man, they, we, we want to, you know, get aggressive, yada, yada, yada. And then it was like, I got high hopes for tomorrow. I, I forget exactly what I said. I, I just was, pulled it up. It says, uh, Real loud, Tony. It says, I have high hopes for tomorrow, buddy. You're going to be able to see Waldo tomorrow night when you get in camp. Rest in peace, Waldo. That's mm. what I said. And, and that was the statement came true, you know. Tony and the crew rolled into camp and Waldo was there. Like, I just felt, you know, in... Like I said, meantime, sat there at dinner. Like, if this rain carries on, man, it's go time tomorrow. It's time to get aggressive. And, it, like, it happened that morning. It rained, and it was just a blessing, you know. It just gave us that much more scent cover, that much more. And I'm sitting there cutting this trail, and I find this bull track with Mark. And I'm like, Tyne, this is him. Tyne's like, no way, man. He's double that size of the track. And he goes around the tree. He's like, here he is. This is his last night's track. And I mean, as soon as time cut that track, it was game on and poor Mark, you know, it's like, I think we had like almost four miles into it of 
running circles around Mark, he finally gave up and stopped chasing me in time. <laughs> he just stand in the middle where the last track was and a lot of whistling and snapping and like here he is, you know, and we got to some moments of it tracking him in the mud, like, you know, it was his earlier stage of the track, I'd say about the first mile and a half, was real faint. Like, it pounded rain on his tracks that night. He was sitting there walking around, and time's like, this is him, this is him. And then we get to a part where he jumps his tree, and we have no idea how and how he even fit through with this tree. And we, we branch off to the left and right of this tree, and I'm just like, he had to jump through that tree, and time goes over there, and boom. There's his fresh track. It, I mean, his fresher track of the day until we hit him about another mile down the road. And we just sat there and covered circles and circles. And I remember Tyne picks up this mule deer shed. He's like, look at this shed. And his whole, hand, his whole hand's full of ants. <laughs> <laughs> Mark's just looking at us like, look at these guys, you know. <laughs> we get to the first bench where we think he goes up. And, you know, Waldo doesn't go up. He skirts. He actually walks across the true track that we are driving in to go park the truck. He literally had to have walked it after we drove in that morning, like right across our tire tracks. He side hills this little mesa, and we think he's gonna go up. I told Tiny he's gonna go up there, and I look at Tiny and he's branching back off to the other two track road. And I'm like, where is he going? You know, and all of a sudden Tiny's like, I can smell him. He's right here, and I told Mark, get ready. And we go up to the last little roller before the dry tank and Tyne's in front and he picks up his first bed where he wants to bed and he doesn't. He walks circles and his track is just beat down and I just remember looking at Tyne and Tyne's like, it's go time. He hits another 25 yards into his second bed and he doesn't bed there. But we see a little bit of hair and stuff and then Tyne turns the corner and that's when I see in his eyes just like... And I look at Mark, and Mark's trying to jump over the log, and I'm like, get over here, like, come on. And we turn the corner, and Tyne puts us in front, and I put Mark on a tripod with the tricops, and he's pretty solid for about three minutes. You know, <laughs> we sitting there, he, you could see him shaking at first, and he finally gets himself together, and then the tripod head just goes, <laughs> and, or no, first, before that, he yells at me in time. I see him. <laughs> and we're 60 yards from this bull. And we're just like, you gotta be quiet. Like, Whoo! And Waldo's sitting there turning his head. And, and all of what happened with that is the tree that was on our side of Waldo was covering his eyes. All you could see was his nostril and the back part of his ear. But that ended up getting us when he stood up. So Mark's tripod falls down and he's all, he yells again, I need you to raise it up. And I'm sitting there shushing him like, shh. And I'm sitting there unscrewing the tripod and he's got pressure still down on the tripod. So I'm like, you gotta pick up the gun a little bit. And I pick up the gun and I tighten it. And I'm like, are you set? He saw these, I got him like real loud again. And we're like, shh. And now he has his backpack on and there's like a some plastic logo on his strap of his backpack. And the butt of the gun just going, oh, and me and Tyne are looking at each other like, what in the world is going on? <laughs> and Waldo's just sitting there spinning his head. Now you know he kind of, he knows something's wrong, you know, and he just, Tyne's like, he's up, he's up, and he stands up, and total shoulder all the way down is blocked, you know, and we're trying to tell Mark, you know, pick your shot, pick your shot, shoot, shoot. 
And I feel like I said shoot 15 times, you know. And all of a sudden he swings around and boom. And then we knew he was hit because, you know, his whole ass into the bull just hits the ground. And it just, from there on out was another track job. But I'd say within a mile of where we first shot him, we had Waldo. And I mean, we had a couple opportunities at him after that first shot, but it just... He was a little bit quicker than we were, you know, trying to get settled up back on the, the sticks for Mark was a little bit difficult because now he's in his thick stuff where he loves to bed. I mean, that, that was his home and you could tell that's where he lived. And that's why all of our guys up top, all the guys around this, this bull, we would never ever lay his eyes on him because of in a jungle. where he lived was a jungle. Like it was a total jungle. Even tracking him, you're going through stuff like how does this bull fit through this gap? How is that physically possible? And Waldo did it. I mean, it with, with not even second guessing himself. Never a track after we got the first shot, he second guessed where he was going. It was always, he knew where he wanted to go. And that's where I felt like. And then when the time comes around the tree and Mark's grabbing for the triclops, I'm like, just shoot that bull, yeah. shoot him. And he, Waldo's there. 20, 25 yards away from us, bedded, looking the total opposite way. And I mean, Mark just tenderings him hard. And we literally see Waldo take off and probably another 30 steps later, you know, he's hitting the dirt. And I mean, right there, just as a guy, that's the moment you look for. And like I said, I, you know, I was just a part of this. I, I owe a lot to Tony and Tyne and Dan. I mean, these guys are just, you grind it as much as I did, you know, this much time away from home and everyone's story is going to be, you know, similar but different. Like in Time's vision, what you're going to hear right now is different than mine. But to, for me to see this guy right here, just blood dog, you know, trail, then he starts branching off and then I pick up the trail. It was just like total teamwork right there. And that's what got Waldo killed. I mean, yeah. we, we went to his home pushing your luck. We pushed it hard that day. And we both told each other, like, it's going to happen or it's not. Like, he's going to go. And we we feared, the biggest fear was north. If he went north, we were done. We mm -hmm. wouldn't see Waldo again. So, I mean, time go ahead and take it, man. What's your perspective on I, that? I would just like to start to say, you know, from the night before at dinner, it's that I, I've hunted with a lot of guys through Arizona, you know, and Vince is one hell of a hunter, you know, and when two guys that know what the hell's going on get together you know we just clicked and it was we talked at dinner we're like Vince knew the country good enough from the last 12 days of hunting it and I knew it from the last 12 years of pounding it you know that we made a plan and it was bulletproof in my eyes that we would put eyes on Waldo that day if, if we killed him was a total gamble you know but in the six hours that it took from sunup to put a bullet in Waldo, there was three words spoken between us. You know, it was all finger motions and it was eye motions and it just, it clicked the whole entire time. You know, there was never a moment where it was, get your ass over here or what the hell are you doing? You know, it was just click, 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 click. And that, I want to start it off with saying, Vince, uh, you're a hell of a hunter, and I really enjoyed hunting with yeah, you. And, same, same goes to you, buddy. And, uh, but in my perspective of the story, you know, it starts again back in June when we 
built the salt, you know, that he was so protective over it. He wouldn't let any other bulls hit it, you know. They would try to come, he'd run them off, you know. And for the once I got those videos, and you guys will see the videos in the future, it's that you'll know why. Like, I, I'm 30 minutes away from the unit, so I couldn't leave it alone, you know. Every three days, I'd go in there and look at him. How, how much bigger has he grown, you know. But I learned that track in, those, in that time, you know. And he had a freaking buffalo of a foot, you know. That night... When at dinner, I envisioned finding his track, you know, in that soft dirt and tracking him down and seeing him at least. And honestly, my thing was as much as Mark had set and how much effort Mark had put into this, you know, I'm like, we're at least going to show him this damn bull. You know, it might be him running away in the last time he sees him, but we're going to show him this damn bull that <laughs> yeah. we've been targeting and that he's only got to see a picture of, you know. And, Vince hit it on the head, you know, like we went down there and Vince is like, here's a track, man, here's his track. I'm like, that's not his track. Like, trust me, when we find it, you're, you'll see, you know. We walked a couple more hundred yards and we cut a track and it looked like a five-day-old track, you know, but that morning rain, I was like, this is him for sure. I'm like, we might be three days behind him, but this is him. And we tracked him probably 250 yards and we found a pile of elk scat and it was wet. You know, it wasn't warm, but it was wet. And I'm like, we're within 12 hours of when this bull was standing here, you know. And I just, I knew in my heart that it was him, but it was such, you know, like doing that was such a, it was such a gamble, you know, like I've said so many times, I'm like, let's go. And we took off on him and we tracked him for, like Ben said, a good three and a half, four miles until it got to where it was rained in, but it was that morning rain that we had set in for that two hours, you know, and I'm like, we're, we're getting close. And we crossed the road that we drove in on, and I'm like, dude, this bull crossed on top of us, which <laughs> means it's since four o'clock this morning, you know, I was like, now we're within five hours of this bull at this point, and you would look at it and as a guide you know Vince is like you had to go that way and I agreed you know like it's where he went was not logical but it's why he's big you know mm -hmm. and he went did the total opposite thing that any person would thought he would do and we tracked him another seven eight hundred yards from that point and the track got to not be reined in anymore and like we we made it a joke on the tracking him like he shit 20 times you know and it was cold it was wet but it was cold and he we crossed the road and he shit and i reached down and i touched the touched it it was warm you know and i was like we're we're close now it's go time we got up on that bench and you know i i've hunted these elk and deer enough and you know like they start checking beds you know i'm like he's gonna lay down here in the next three four hundred yards and i told mark and vince like it's like now now like I, we were already going slow i was like but now we go too slow and we probably walked it felt like another mile but it's 80 gonna, yards it's gonna know? get western that's it <laughs> mark it's about yeah. to get western <laughs> it's about to get western and we walked probably another 80 yards and i came around the tree and i i can't take a claim to fame of i you know of being a pro or anything like we got lucky we didn't blow that bull out of the country you know we played the wind right and everything just fell into place for us and when i came around the tree to 
get 61 yards from a 440 inch bull and him be clueless that you're there is a huge feat just for me you know to be standing that close to a bull that you could shoot with a bow and have zero idea that you're there and he was wide awake alert you know it's not like we walked up on him snoring like he was on a pivot but we had the wind right we were extra quiet you know the rains the night before really helped with our sound on the ground and I mean it's like we talked about the night before I told these guys like we're going slow and what you think is slow is 10 times slower you know and we were going slow when the trap was 14 hours old you know and to get to right there with them is I feel like only way it ha reason it happened is because we went slow from the start you know we never pushed it we I we knew what we were going in for and when I walked around the tree like like Ben said like my eyes almost popped out of my head you know sure. I've been in that country so much I've seen some huge bulls but you see five seconds of them and hear branches breaking and you never see them again you know to standing there for 12 minutes and 44 seconds at 61 yards waiting for this bull to stand up you know that my knees have never hit each other so much <laughs> I was shaking like a leaf but Mark kept it cool like me and Vince kept it cool and when he stood up I like I was there's your opportunity you know like what we've been waiting for and it was no pressure then it was like shoot Mark shoot Mark shoot Mark Mark shoot Mark shoot like come on then this is all whispers you know and Mark has hearing aids and I'm like can he like Mark shoot like you know like I didn't know if he couldn't hear us what the deal was I'm like shoot him <laughs> and like this the wor a guy's worst nightmare in my opinion like kind of a touchier subject but it was I was scared shitless after that first bullet went off you know like an animal of that caliber the shot that I knew that was put on the bull you know and we had the we had the wide open broadside shot you know the shoulder was covered but we had everything else to now we have a bullet far back in this bull and you, this bull's on his feet right now still you know and it was it was so nerve-wracking we knew the bull was hit but we seriously followed the bull over a mile without anything you know like Nothing. we've seen a couple spots of him me and Vince both knew he was hurting you know because a bull of that caliber would have left the country if we missed him but it was so nerve-wracking to have an he grew so much already on us, you know. Right. We haven't touched this subject. Like, we all had this bull in the 400 to 410 range, you know, and then we walk up at him on him at 60 yards, and I look through at him through a pair of 15s on a tripod, and I'm just blown away, you know. And I'm like, this bull is over 420, you know. He has everything you can ask for, some more, and then. I'm waiting to walk up to him, lay that, laying there at 60 yards, and it turns into a whole nother two and a half hours, more miles, you know, and like my stomach was in such knots, you know, to... Time for the yeah. listeners, where'd that first bullet hit him? Uh, the first bullet hit him right in front of the hind quarter, oh. like, right, like right in the paunch, quartering hard, hard away. So, you know, it, it hit a lot of important things but the, it was so close with a, you know a 210 grain bullet the bullet did its job inside but the the hole you couldn't stick a pencil in you know and 
the first mile there was not a single yeah. drop of blood and he kind of backtracked himself he crossed that same road again and went up on another ridge and we topped up on that ridge and it was seriously like a pencil eraser on a white rock of a drop of blood you know and we shot a buck in the strip a long time ago that the same thing happened you know close shot the bullet just pinholed him he, this guy had double lunged this deer we followed him for three miles, you know, before he finally got sick and died. And it was, that's what kept running through my head, you know, it was like, and that's when we found that drop of blood. I told Vince, we called you, you know, like, let's just give him some time now. You know, he's oh, hit, yeah. he's sick for 100% now. Like, it wasn't a fluke. Like, he's hurting. I'm like, let, we agreed to give him some time. And that was the best decision that we ever made, you know, because I feel like, you know, that bull... We were sneaky and all, but he knew we were on him then, and he wasn't going to stop until he was 100% comfortable to stop. And he went probably another mile from where we stopped and gave him the hour and 20 minutes. And he was, he would have died, you know, he was sick, but it was one of those things I was so thankful to walk around that tree again and see him laying there 30, 40 yards and watch that bullet hit him right behind the front shoulder, you know, and he still got up, and I'm like, no, 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 like, this is still not over, but he went another 75, 80 yards and piled up, you know, but it was, for that hour and a half, two hours after that first shot, I was sick, you know, I was so nervous, I, I've shot some big animals with clients that we have not re recovered, you know, and that's the worst thing anybody could ever dream of you know and it was just such an awesome experience killing him the way that we did you know we we grinded sitting in that blind was no joke yeah, you know miserable. it's sitting in a hot box it's miserable you know you're sitting there but it's a freaking mental grind and these guys they grinded it out you know but to kill the bull the way that we killed him was such a awesome thing to be a part of you know it's to track him down and kill him in his bed and a bull of that caliber was, it's the highlight of my guiding career as of right now, for sure. And that's beautifully said. And one thing somebody asked me kind of on the spot, what popped out to my words was uh, he was a warrior bull and he died a warrior's death. And I yeah. think it was my conversation with you. And what was also cool about for that for me, and I, I want to hear how you guys in a minute here, Matt and Tony first heard about the bull actually being dead as opposed to uh, we hope he's dead. But uh, what was another conversation that you and I had a couple of days prior to that was we were just kind of having a transparent conversation about our businesses and how we'd grown our businesses. And one of the really cool things that you and I talked about, compliment to all you guys, was that, you know, as you grow your business, you bring different guys in and, and some guys kind of come and go, but you build your business around your killers. Yeah. You know, these guys can be your best friend in camp. They can be your best friend when, you're, when they're your guide. But when it's time to get serious, like we can flip that switch. And there's some really great guides in this world that will never be killers, even though they're semi-successful guides. Yeah. But for, for those of you guys, when you're shopping guides, you know, differentiate between the killers because the killers are the guys that get it done time and time again. And it's another shout out to that rain. You know, we had nothing to go off of if we didn't have his tracks. One drop of blood and well over a mile. We had yeah. nothing to go on. But like Tyne said, these were bigger than buffalo tracks. There was no doubt yeah. we were on that yeah. bull. It was either I, that I, or a black Angus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> so we, we second guessed ourselves a couple yeah. times. But I, I got something to say. Um, Mark, I mean, 
We we threw him through the trenches, you know. He and he was on our heels the whole yes. time. Never gave up. Super positive in that last 120 yards before we did get a boy and Waldo. You could tell it was it was catching up. It was yeah. getting hot now. It was. It was one o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, you know, it's 90 water. degrees. It's the humidity is crazy right now with the monsoon rolling in. And we just kept telling him he's right here. We're on his track. Like this is him, and you know. Just seeing his, you know, meaner there was, I had total faith in these guys. I'm going to do what they tell me to do and trust them. And when we turned the corner and Waldo's there, all that excitement came out, you know. And to me, Waldo laid there long enough for Mark to gather his thoughts. Because when he first got on the gun, it was a shake. It It was like, whoa, he's right there, you know. And... All the funny stuff happened and he calmed down and I felt like, you know, he, he sat there and contemplated himself, should I take this shot? Should I take this shot? I should take this shot. But in the end, he did make a good shot. You yeah. know, it wasn't the best shot, but it was a shot that, it slowed Waldo down. Made him know, sick. And it made him sick. But I just, I got to give kudos to Marcus. Yeah. Like and I said, it was hot. We were dying, you know, just pouring sweat and he's sitting there two bottles of water because he didn't think we were going on a four-mile hike. You sure. know what I mean? That moment after we get the first bullet in Waldo and we get up to our spot where we take shade and stuff, you know, he's upset. And as if every hunter, you know, apologetic to me and Tynus, you get sick, especially knowing how, you know, a team of guys puts this much effort into one thing. And now you're a factor of maybe that's not going to happen. But we just stayed super positive, you know. We're getting you water, and that's when you and Mike and everybody brought him. You could tell at that moment when we got to rest, he was burnt out. And that hour and a half break for him, it was just rejuvenating. He needed it. He was beat down. And I give him kudos because we were just going. We were. He didn't even second guess to even talk to us. He was just like, "I'm staying with these guys." And me and Tyne got into the mode where. We got to go. We got to right. go. We got to go. This is his track, you know. And like you said, we took it slow, and Mark never second-guessed us. He was there every step of the way. And, I mean, I big kudos to Mark, man. Well-deserved. That and that bull was meant for him. And not only did he not second-guess you, but one of the things we talk a lot about where, where our clients fail, not where we have failed them, but a lot of times if our clients fail, it's because they guided the guide. And if there's one thing a client who's calling me is like, what's the last thing I need to know before I get on this airplane? Don't guide the guide. Whatever he says, succeed together, fail together, don't guide the guide. Because if any time along that path, he would have started second-guessing you, it could have gone differently. An old bull like that doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He'd already made the mistake to come out in the daylight when we weren't there. To be able to walk up on an old, giant, warrior bull like that just doesn't happen without a great team effort. And I want to tie that in with... When, I, when you guys left me on that mountain that day to go back to the truck and execute the plan, kudos to you guys because with what was at stake for all of us, but also individually for each of us, there's very few people that I'd be like, I don't need to be on this one. And that moment on that mountain making that plan after that rain, what went through my brain, the goosebumps tell you I'm not lying, was these are killers. They don't need another killer they need to go kill this bull and they need somebody to be on the other side of this thing so when you guys bailed off there i'm not going to pretend to say i knew that day we were going to kill that bull but what i did know was i was sending in killers and if anybody was going to get it done we were in a spot to get it done tony now i'm gonna start with tony 
You got that text from Vince the night before. Well, no, I was sitting, I was at a pre-construction meeting getting ready to start a new project and Tyne sends a picture of the bull bedded at 60 yards. <laughs> so now I have no idea what meeting I'm in anymore. <laughs> so I'm texting them back on what's going on, what's going on. And they told me the bull's bedded at 60 yards. So now I'm sitting there just staring at my phone, trying to observe what these guys are saying in the meeting. But my main focus is on what these two are doing now. <laughs> Yeah. So thanks to Ben, so he kept me in the loop the whole time. It felt like I was there, but I physically wasn't there. I remember yeah. as soon as Waldo hit the ground, I think I called my fiance first, and then the second person I called was Tony. Yeah, I, still, I was still gathering my thoughts when I got, got called Tony, you know, and it was just like I told him, I wish you were here because you're just as big as a factor as myself in this story you know absolutely they're yeah. talking to vince i was getting choked up on the phone <laughs> right i know how much effort we all put into this bull it yeah. was we all have a lot of history with him i held it together until i talked to my wife yeah, <laughs> yeah. i think that's when we all same yeah. that's another thing too i'd like to talk you know as my wife she put a lot into this too like they yeah. bumped around in the pickup for the last three months this riding you know that bull meant just as much to her as it did to us, you know. That's very evident. That's very evident. And Tony, I, I've, I've been blessed in this hunting life slash career to meet a lot of guys, a lot of hunters, a lot of guides. I maybe can think of two or three guides, I've not told you this yet, I'm telling you now, who are as selfless as you. I mean, anything I needed, any camera, any salt, any key, everybody holds that stuff at, at bay. Nobody wants to share all that stuff. And from the moment I met you, whether it's my relationship and your relationship with Vince, whatever bonded us together from day one, I knew I was going to give you that kind of free reign. I had no reason to expect that from you. Right. And for you to give me that much, here's all my keys, here's my combos, here's this, here's this. And I'm like, let me send you some gas money. Let me get some salt for you. What do you need? Because I really thought I was going to be driving that train supporting you. And man, you were like... I've maybe met two or three guys out of thousands and thousands of hunters. So I think one of the reasons why you've been successful, but why you're going to continue to kill big shit is because you lead by example and you want to see people be successful, even if they're more successful than you. You don't meet a lot of men like that in 2020. So um, I can't wait for us to share a camp for our archery bull because uh, it's been a hell of a journey so far. And um, we got four more bulls to kill in there and, and maybe more. And maybe I have a surprise for you when we wrap up here in a little bit, but Matt, tell me about how you first found about this bull getting whacked. I know you knew we had him at 60, right? That was last year. Well, I knew he was dead when the 60-yard text came in. Okay. Him laying there alive. <laughs> <laughs> we, had, we had killers in there, and, uh, and at 60 yards in his bed, I was high-fiving a few people. I was just like, that's a wrap. <laughs> you know? And so we, basically that was, that was a wrap. The next two hours were a little excruciating. I sat, uh, we just sat in the shade of a few trucks, um, uh, Jeremy and, and Mike and Lane and, and Gil and the we're the five of us or so were just hanging out on the side of the road because um, we couldn't go in there we didn't we didn't want to we didn't know where anyone was at that point we didn't want to push the situation drive a truck in there so we're parked at the gate like laying in the shade for I don't know hour and a half two hours <laughs> until we got the final call and made the final uh, rush into you guys so when you first walk up on that bull what are you expecting to see compared to what you actually saw when you're walking in take us through that moment you already know he's big yeah but what do you i mean yeah you've seen a lot of dead elk yeah what's so, your walk up like it's pretty hard to explain because you can't uh it, it's hard to fathom those kind of numbers you walk up on this big frame bull and and uh 
look at G4s that are like 27 and 28, it was hard to say those numbers. Yeah. Even staring at them, you're like, it's pushing 30. But you can't say 30. Yeah. You're going to sound like an idiot. If you, everyone's going to laugh at you if you said 30. But standing over the bowl, you're looking at it, and you're, guys are holding their arms up to it. Yeah, armpit all the way out to the tip of their arm, and it's coming out to their wrist and stuff. And, uh, um, yeah, it was just it was pretty special to see, see everyone's reactions and, and uh, all the excitement. It was just a, a pleasure to spend some time with some killers. Like and, when we uh, taped in the first time, I... I thought we did something wrong, you know, because... Uh, I was sure of it. <laughs> you, could, you could see me in the video. I'm like, oh, oh no. Everyone's like, yes! And everyone jumps up. And I'm like, whoa, 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 stop. Redo the math. <laughs> like, there's no freaking way. But, like, you, when you get numbers like that, you know, 21-inch fists and 28-inch royals and 58-inch beams. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, 67, 67, and, 67 and a half inches of mass or 67 and three quarters total. So what did we have him at on the ground dead? Before? I know we measured him in camp. When we left the when we left his carcass in our minds, what did we have him at? Four twenty plus. Yeah, I had him at four twenty plus. Yeah, and yeah. That was that's figuring that, around with him. And that's all anyone would say. Everyone was like, "Wow, he grew a bunch." Yeah. And I know Tyne said a couple times, like, "This bull is blows four twenty out of the water, yeah. guys." Dude, like, you the, the yeah, water. you're like, this, yeah. this oh. is. Yeah, you walked up and we're like, that's not a 420. <laughs> like, it's not. So he blows 420 out. So a postscript to this is now that we've got him, I'll say, quote unquote, unofficially at 27, 28 and a half on one side, 27 on the other. I've had multiple sources um, tell me that they're, that no matter where this bull scores in the top 5, 10, or 20 all time, that there is not a recorded bull in history with a 28 and a half period. In Troil. Uh, in Troil. Yeah, that's um, so, all my years of... Picking up sheds, you know, looking at all these giant bulls, talking, you know, I've never even heard never of it. Never even heard of it. You see that freak no, tying no, occasionally. Not even close. Yeah, you see that freak tying occasionally, like that super third on a bull oh, sometimes. Yeah. It's like, woo, big old 32 inch third. Yeah. yeah, that happens and stuff. But on a classically framed bull, so it's not a weird point, it's not in a weird place, no. it's not coming off corkscrewy or something, to have a 28 and a half inch tine. That fits and it's right where it's supposed and, to be, I mean, and it's to scale with the rest of them. Yeah, it too. is. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing, you know. Like, even now, Dad putting my hands on him a lot. <laughs> the trail camera pictures still, no you know, justice. the videos still. Like you can't look at a picture and go, "That's 28 inches long." You know, I I'm not bragging, but I had him nailed all the way up to, from his eye guards to his thirds. You know, mm-hmm. on camera, but. Force and fist, I was 10 inches off and 8 inches off, you know, like it was a, so, it Those was, aren't numbers you allow yourself to think or say. Uh, yeah, you know, and that's yeah. the thing, you know, when I score a big bull on camera, big, big bull, you know, you give him 45 inches of mass, 40 inches of mass, you know, and 67 and a half yeah. inches of mass, you know. Doesn't happen. Last year, I hunted one of the biggest bulls I'd ever seen in my life, you know, with my wife on the archery hunt, and once I walked up to this bull and like, I'm like, holy shit, these bulls are the same, same category, you know, and for a clean six by six and you guys put your hands on him, you can't put your hands around his eye guard, right. you know, let alone his anyway, anywhere, anywhere, anything, there's anywhere. There's not a point on him where you can touch your fingertips around and I think, like, even in pictures, like, I, I know what he scores, and I've held him, and you can't fan him that number, you know, it's such a yeah. big number, he's such a big bull, and 
I've got to be a part of killing a lot of big deer, you know, but I never got to, you know, the biggest bull I'd ever guided was 396, and I never got to break that 400 number, and it's been a goal for 15 years to break that 400 number, and to break it by 40 inches, like, blew me away, and then, like, one of the coolest things that just, like, it knocked my socks off was I couldn't wait to, it's weird but i couldn't wait to have that bull skull capped and take that picture you yeah. know holding him in front of the tent how heavy that thing is you know <laughs> at 440 inches you know like you could hardly hold it over your head you know like it was it blew me away and like you said like that'll be something for me that i'll never ever ever forget you know like this to put my hands on that bull finally after so many years of chasing these giant bulls to kill something of that caliber let alone to kill the biggest raffle bull that's ever, ever been killed and what's cool too is you know you made that phone call and next thing you know jerica and the girls are on the way up and i make that call and terry and josh and rebecca are on the way up and to to be in that they were there for the scoring they were there for the initial they were there before we got back yeah as a matter of fact so they get there when we're there so we're losing our minds same recollection as these guys i hear you guys measuring it the first time i'm like all right, I want to celebrate too, but let's just let's just do that again. And then the next one was within one or two percent, and that's, I think for me that was the first moment it started to become real. Like we didn't just kill a four hundred, we smashed through four hundred. And the idea that was even top five, top ten, or top twenty all time didn't even cross my mind till literally two days ago, and that's three days after we killed the bull. Like so, it's still not truly settling in what we did as far as what he'll end up scoring, but the the moment that we all got to have with Mark and our families in this camp, you know, goes back to the first humans and what hunting's all about to sustain for your family, to provide for your family, and uh, to be able to share it with so many people. Let's give a kudos to your buddy who, didn't you have a buddy in Phoenix that drove up for like yeah. one hour and had yeah, to, who's that guy? Daniel Willett, he so, all the way from Phoenix to, got up there at one o'clock in the morning just to, you know, because it is one of those bulls that pictures do not do justice, you know, and, Daniel had spent a few weekends with me up there trying to turn him up, you know, because we actually tried to sell this bull to the auction hunter early on in the season because he was archery hunting and we hadn't hit the salt so hard, you know, and Daniel's friends with one of the guys that he was hunting with, so Daniel was involved a lot and, you know, like, as soon as we could, you know, let it out that he was on the ground, like, I called Daniel and it was another tearjerker, you know, because we did it, you know, yeah. like we did something that we set out to do. And didn't he drive from Phoenix, put his hands on the bull and have to turn around yeah, and go I right back? around at 1.30 in the morning, drove back, slept an hour and a half and went to work. The wow. I was going to say, did I not see Daniel? No, no we were, were in bed. I, was gonna, I didn't know Daniel yeah. came. <laughs> I, I was there. The old, yeah. the old guys were in bed. I was just crashed out at yep. one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. He came, put his hands on it. And good for him. Back to work. What a stud. That's Rigo, awesome. Rigo pulled him over at 1 o'clock in the morning. Did he really? <laughs> I love it. I didn't know that. Yeah, but no, that's a thing too is like this, that afterwards, you know, killing the bull is so special. But the night, that night, you know, celebrating, seeing everybody, you know, like just the high fives. The, yeah. You know. Just, Genuine. It, for us, and I don't know if I'm speaking for Vince and you guys, but for me, that's what it's about. You know, like yeah. killing, it's awesome, but sitting there, sitting back at the camp and just like I did that. You know, yeah, like, we did that. Like that's you've never. So it's I don't know the word I'm looking for, but as a guide, like it, it's so fulfilling. You know, like, mm -hmm. we, I, uh, we 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 came, we saw it, we conquered, and 
there it is, you know. And God's blessed me to be in camps with a lot of dead bulls, and I can tell you for a fact, I've never sat next to a skull-capped rack on the ground, you know, as if we were buddies, just because I wanted to be close to it. It was a, it's truly a spiritual, like, all the blood, sweat, and tears, all the time away from the wife and kids, all the sacrifice, is because someday, I might be 90, I might be 20, I wanted to be this close to a bull. That was 400. Yeah. 440, <laughs> but 400, I wanted that day. And I know there's a lot of great guides in the state who have had that moment many, many times, and now I know why I'm gonna have that moment many times in my life, because it's not just to be able to beat your chest and say I killed a 400, but you know that is a blessed animal. He's an old warrior, and to be able to spend, you'll laugh at this, but to spend quality time with a bull like that, just like you and the skull cap, as crazy as that sounds, listen to it on, on a podcast. I missed sitting with that bull. Like I said, when we started this podcast, I kind of wish. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> One of my favorite pictures though, the whole, we've got 2000 amazing pictures. One of my favorite pictures is that skull capped bull laying on the ground and Vince sitting inside the rack, like it's in a cage kind of. And he's just sitting there like this and he's, Got it fully encased, fully encasing him basically, and uh, he just eat, just eats you up. Yeah, yeah just man, drinking that, a beer. Yeah, like, you know, like I spent, we spent twelve days. I spent twelve days with you guys trying to kill this bull. I spent a year and a half trying to kill El Chapo. You know, and like walking up on this bull, like blew that away. You know, because wow. El Chapo that says was a lot. A bunch of teamwork and a bunch. You know, it was a grind for me and a couple guys. You know, mm-hmm. here and there and like. The teamwork and the camaraderie, you know, the camp, pulling into camp with, you know, that bull in the back of your truck, you know, is this, it's a whole nother level, you know, like we've said from the beginning, it's, it's next level. Like, I can't wait to do it again, you yeah. know, like I, I, and like you were touched earlier, like 440, like, I don't care if it's 401 or if it's 375, like a big bull is a big bull, you know, and. I don't think we'll ever, I won't think I'll ever kill another bull of that caliber because there's very few of them, you know. If I do, thank God, but I, I'm just super blessed to be a part of that that bull. And, you know, karma and it's not beating around the bush, being legit hunters, you know. Yeah. Like, I can go to sleep every night as a guide in this world right now and know that I'm not a criminal or I've never stolen or cheated to do these things or knock these animals down, you know, and Vince and you and Tony, Matt, you know, like, you know, in my point of view, you, I'm a very good judge of character and you guys are legit and I love working with you and like I said before, I can't wait to do more in the future and I think that in the long run, like, the good guys are always going to win, you yeah. know, so... Well, we think so too, and and make no bones about it, this bull doesn't hit the dirt without Tyne and Jerrica. I mean, you guys are a huge part of this thing, huge part of our family, and um, the good guys won. You know, they're one. Somebody asked me, I was doing a, a deal on the phone on the drive over here, and and a guy asked me, as long as I've been in the business, what was one of my motivations for going in the business when I left the Air Force, and I told him at that time, I said, there's a lot of outlaws in this business, and I love to hunt, and I love to fish, and I. I thought as a young guy in the Air Force, if I ever got out of the Air Force, it'd be to take people hunting and fishing the right way and to not have to be a crook to do it. To be able to see the good guys, and I'm not saying anybody's bad, I'm just saying for our group to do what we did, the way we did it, to track a, whatever he's gonna end up being, nine years old, 10 years old, 15 years old, who cares, but to track him in his bed at 60 yards on an old warrior bull, 
It doesn't happen on a three-year-old bull most of the time. Um, all the stars had to be there, the right people, the right place. Damn, we sent them home for two days. What, you know, what could have been those two days? You know, all these things that go through your mind because we have to be perfect the whole time and he only has to screw up once. And if you're not there the day you're perfect and he screws up, none of it matters. So the odds are always against you to kill a 400 inch bull and to do it the way we did. And, and, uh, just so many people involved, you know, somebody, uh, I'd be remiss if we didn't mention is Dan Zellner. There's very few guides in the state, maybe one to five that have more miles on their truck and have gone through more tires than Dan Zellner. Dan, you're the man, whether it's antelope, whether it's elk, whether it's deer, whether it's just picking up the phone when, when you think I need to talk to somebody, you are a rock star with Diamond Outfitters, a huge part of our past and our future. And um, you have a ton of time on this super raffle bull too. And I know Mark appreciates it. And uh, I guess we're gonna get ready to wrap here. I got, I got something to say though. Please. I, I really wanna thank like, you know, Tony wasn't there with me and Tyne at that moment, but 18 weekends of pulling trail cameras, Absolutely. Sam Cheyenne and you know, Zoe and Zoe, Heidi. And you my guys dog, know, <laughs> my dog. You guys know who Zoe and Heidi is if you got cameras in night. <laughs> That's you right. Know, you got Bill and Bill out there, you yeah. know, Chicken Wing and Bill, you know. <laughs> so I, I owe a big thank you to him. He knows you know, just on a friend level what to me to hold a 400 inch bull was. And I told him, I don't need nothing else. I don't, nothing else matters to me right there. I just want to hold that number. Yeah. And, you know, Waldo suppressed that number just dramatically. Like, that might be, and I'm going to say, the biggest bull I've ever been part of killing. Because mm -hmm. that number is unheard of. Like, yeah. That is a number that's just not around it's every not tree. Really you know, like 400, okay. Right. 440, you know, Waldo might be the biggest bull of my life that I was, you know, even part of right and that right there just made him even more special in my life absolutely and, you know I, I take a lot and I need to thank my fiance Sheena and she's at home with you know I brought Bentley up for 17 days or something but then she gets them two and a newborn you know it, it it's stressful for her sure. and I thank her a lot and I thank her for I wish she was there you know at that moment but I did FaceTime them when Waldo was on the ground, and that meant a lot to to them. And I mean, I think Tyne and them, your family, man, awesome. It was just the camp we had was just second meant to none. be. It was second to none. And like when Waldo hit the ground, every hour someone new in camp was there. Just yeah. like this is why yeah. this bull is why he's here. And, you know, and we celebrated, and we celebrated hard, but. <laughs> <laughs> It, it was, was worth it. it. It was worth it. It was so worth it. Oh, yeah. And I think, you know, like I said, that to me, it, you know, is I want to now hold more 400s. Like, that's the mission. I got it once, but now I don't want to it's stop. A drug. It's, it's a drug. It is there. It's now. I, but like I said, Waldo might be the all-time one, you know, sure. just because 440, you can't say that. You yeah. know, it's 440. Started we can top, we can say that down. we can say that as a group of guys yep. sitting here like we helped kill a 440 and he had the best name in the world because he yeah. was never seen and he went to one of the best guys in the world the, he one did. of the best Mark, guys Mark was dude. awesome well deserving guys yeah, like the with so many guys and you know there's some of those guys this 
don't deserve it, you know, and yeah. then, like Mark deserves it 110%. Four tickets at $25 each, $100 in raffle tickets for a tag that I've seen garner up to $360,000 on auction, you know, just yeah. couldn't have happened to a better guy, couldn't have been a better group, couldn't have come together better. But one thing I'll say before we wrap too is uh, I've had no less than five people in the last six or seven days ask me like, so is this your mic drop moment? Is this when you retire? And it's like, dude, I don't know why, but all I can keep telling people is we're just getting started. That's it. Mm-hmm. We're just getting started. And uh, it's, we've been in business, what, 17, 18 seasons now. And for some reason, it just feels like day one. But that's because we're so blessed by God. We're so blessed by this animal. And I want to give a shout out to Bob Stevens and Eddie Glochet over in uh, San Carlos and White River Apache. They taught me at like 15, 16 years old, you treat animals with respect. You can hunt them as hard as you want, but what you don't know is when you get one, they actually sought you out because you're right with them in the spiritual world. So yeah, maybe you think you hunted Waldo 22 days, but he eventually gave himself to you because you guys were worthy opponents. And if that's true, I know we respected this bull and that's why I know there's gonna be a lot more Waldo spirits coming to us. And Thanks to Bob and to Bishy for being huge influences in my life. Thanks again to all of our spouses. And uh, uh, again, Diamond Outfitters, diamondoutfitters.com, uh, zerooutfitterfees.com, pureaddictionoutfitters.com, tines at 928-853-3114. Matt, where can everybody, you do all this great work on these admin pages. All of us are going to be filling out, sending out more pictures on this bull. So I'm going to have everybody go around, make sure we know where you can find them. Uh, you manage a bunch of our a bunch of the big sites. Where are they, where are they going to be able to see these elk? Make sure you can definitely find uh, find us at uh, Diamond Outfitters on Instagram and Facebook, uh, both Zero Outfitter Fees and Diamond Outfitters. And of course, uh, follow all of our personal pages uh, uh, from Tony and Tyne and Vince, myself and Dan. Uh, we've all got personal pages as well. And we also help run a few of the pages like uh, Coos Deer, uh, Desert Mule Deer, and Hunting Arizona. So you'll see it pop up on a few of those, I'm sure. Tell everybody again where they can follow you on Desert well, Racks. You can get Desert Racks, you know, at Desert Racks. And if you guys stop by and check it out, buy a hat or a shirt, you know, we're going to have a shirt made with the old glorious Waldo on it. So get, get, get a shirt while you can. And Desert Racks Outdoors where you can find us. I'm, uh, you can find me at, at Drop Time on Instagram or at Pure Addiction, or Pure Addiction on Instagram and then uh, Facebook's just Tyne Eggathorn. You got anything you want guys following you at on Visible? I'm on uh, Tony Stanley 387 on Instagram and Facebook's just Tony Stanley. Awesome, and I, I for their bulls, they're about to knock down a nine, guys. It's it's about to get serious. Yeah, we've got at least four more tags coming up in September this year, and this will this podcast sounds like should be out well before that. Um, I'd be remiss in closing here, and, and you guys jump in if I forgot anything else. But uh, you know, guys, we live in the greatest, freest country in the world. And we're in a time in our country where there's a lot of craziness, a lot of upheaval. But what I know is none of us get to do this if it isn't for our service members and our first responders, Army, Navy, Marine, Coast Guard, Air Force, all of our cops and sheriff's deputies, firefighters, our EMTs, our Border Patrol, our Customs and our ICE agents. Man, I'll make it real clear. I have no job. I have no job in this industry if you're not out there protecting our rights to hunt fish and defend our Constitution against everybody. And uh, we're just so appreciative to all of you for your service. And don't let CNN fool you with all their anti-cop BS. We love you guys. You make the world go round. You make the world a better place for my kids and everybody at Diamond and Pure Addiction. We appreciate you guys so much. And if you're listening to this in a remote camp overseas somewhere, God bless you. You're doing the real work. We're just over here chumps having a good time because you're letting us. And God bless you and we love you guys. And uh, we missing anything? Is that a wrap?
That's a wrap, boys. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening to The Hunt with Matt and Dan. We'll catch you next time. The Hunt with Matt and Dan is brought to you by the premier half-day fishing boat out of San Diego at H&M Landing. Zero outfitter fees and Huskama optics. 